time has come to retool our playing for ourselves, for our students, and for the greater groove. And the big question remains, of course, what is the future of strings? Come on, let's talk about it. Hey, it's Tracy Silverman, your host of the For the Greater Groove podcast, the future of strings. And this is our best of year-end compilation show, featuring highlights and the most memorable moments of my conversations from this past year with some of the movers and shakers in the progressive string world. From the Zach Brock interview that came out in January of 22, to my conversation with Daniel Bernard Rumain, which just dropped this last month. I've taken three or four notable excerpts from each conversation and edited them all together with a little bit of music to give you an edutaining overview of where we find ourselves right now in the string world. A look forward into the future of strings by looking back at what we talked about this year. So to kick it off, here are some thoughts from the amazing jazz violinist, snarky puppy, my buddy Zach Brock. solos coming up and you know you're sort of you've got these two you've got the angel and the demon on your shoulder and you're like oh yeah i heard what he, i heard what they just did yeah man i'm gonna cop that and then i'm gonna do this and the other one seems like no don't do that be open be listening no just check it out and he's like oh no but i got this lick ready i'm just gonna like really rip it, man it's gonna be awesome i'm gonna do it and like, oh just be musical just you know <laughs> five bars six bars five bars um anyway uh, That's so great, man. You know what I mean? You know yes. I mean? Uh, um, so I tend to be the kind of person that when I premeditate exactly what I'm going to do, I usually step on the rake and it hits me in the face. <laughs> that's, not what, that's not what they did. They stopped the rehearsal. They had the drummer sort of lay down the groove and the piano player and the bass player and i had no idea what was going on because i said i didn't really know these guys they got up in the piano player's living room and they started walking in a circle around the room you know <laughs> i want to tap on myself because i got this mic here you know but like, <laughs> and the way that they got the rhythm flowing for them to sit down and then play is they got away from their instruments. Yep. They got up and just like you said, they put it in their body. It was kind of like a dance walk, you know? I'm sure I had heard this from many people along the way. And the thing that came to me was, man, you know, you're trying to swing and you just need to be swung. So don't worry. Don't worry about swinging. Tain, has got all the swing yep. that you will ever need. All yep. you got to do is just let him swing you with that ride symbol and just yep. just be there. And then and so then what ended up happening? And I I recorded every other gig because I wanted to you know trust but verify. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> I, was, I was listening and yeah, you know, I mean that was it. As soon as I got over myself and got out yeah. of the way and I was like, okay. I would do this thing where I would imagine Charlie Parker playing it. I, I'd see him in uh, you know, his double-breasted suit and he was up there on the bandstand you know, playing and I would, I would try to see him, see his body language playing this phrase that I was trying to cop over and over and over again. And then what I would do, I would slowly start to replace the image of him playing an alto 
with him playing the violin. Oh, wow. That is so interesting. But hearing hearing the same sound. So I wasn't changing the sound into, okay, now wow. I'm hearing the violin. But like, this is the sound of the sax coming out of a violin. And as soon as I could see him playing, and I was listening at the same time, I felt confident in my choices. Wow. And Natalie Haas is one of the best examples you can find in the string world of someone who has fully adopted the role of the rhythm string player, providing a complete musical support system for Alistair Fraser for years, which, by the way, is a time-honored part of the Scottish folk tradition. Listeners of this podcast definitely want to hear from you. You have really dedicated your life to doing exactly what this podcast is about, being that chordal supportive player. And we want to know how you do it. And I have <laughs> I have kind of two two things that I'd like to talk about today in general. Okay. Um, if you don't mind. And they're really just kind of two questions, but they're big ones. Yeah. Um, like, first of all, how you learned how to do what you're doing. And in particular, I'm really uh, interested in your relationship to classical music because mm. I failed to mention in that little intro, you are also a Juilliard graduate. As are you, right? I you am, <laughs> exactly, exactly. And yeah. also how you teach, how you teach all this stuff to your students. So you can, um, awesome. and it's really super simple chord. It's just one, four, five, but so much fun to. And what makes it so much fun to listen to and just just so wonderful is your sense of time, like your your gift of of groove. Because the best way to learn stuff is just to listen really carefully to people who do this really well. Uh, and what I would point out to my listeners here is. Listen to all of the subdivisions. So. Yeah. I was kind of listening to the other part, the other fiddle part, and trying to figure out how to do that on the cello. Um, and that was kind of my way in as a, as a cellist who wanted to do more than just play the bass line. Um, and then and then Daryl showed up and I realized that, oh, not only can you just, you know, be a, like a second fiddle part, but you can also be the drummer and the bass player all in one. You know, because Celtic music in terms of accompaniment has a very strong guitar, piano accompaniment tradition. I was also like sitting down in sessions and trying to figure out what they were doing and how to how to make that, you know, following the piano player's left hand and then also following the strum patterns of yes. guitar players and trying to copy their accents. And, and, and so it was a long process of, yeah, kind of yeah. evolving this like accompaniment style for, for Celtic music, but, um, and drawing on a, a lot of different lot of, sources of inspiration. Yeah. A long time teacher at the Valley of the Moon fiddle school. I'm going to ask you some stuff about the movie Valley of the Sun. Oh, I never even heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> I have neither. But... <laughs> Here is a tale of heroic men and gallant women, of humor, simple, honest American, of high adventure and romance in the shadow of death. It is the robust, rugged legend of Jonathan Ware, friend of the Indians, enemy of <laughs> pioneers. It is also the story of Jonathan Ware's gay romance. That began with the riot on the wedding day. 
or C, the Saturday Evening Post? I'm going to go with C. You are right. Know. Really? Yes. <laughs> wow. Very. Berkeley grad and now professor Sarah Caswell is a bright light in the jazz violin world, cultivating her own unique voice while helping young players find theirs. A lot of this has to do, I think, just with that um, that enthusiasm that the students have for it. They're not, you know, they're they're pushing forward. They're not letting yeah. um, whatever stereotypes or um, expectations people have of the instrument hold them back. They're yes. they're definitely pushing the boundaries and saying, "Okay, I love this music. I love that music, and make this into something of my own." And here I go. Yep. And yeah, how can you go wrong when that's happening? You know, it's it's just really it's 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 inspiring to me to see that kind of thing happening for sure. Yeah, yeah, that's the future of strings that we're talking about right there. <laughs> it's the kids. I don't know. I I, I see the gener like this younger generation of people who are coming up through um, through Berkeley, and I'm sure you see the same at Belmont. There's so many unique, amazing voices that are blending all of these different experiences together into something that will speak to people on mass appeal. I have no doubt. Yeah. And I love, I'm so excited to see that happen um, and to see how the violin is going to find its footing again and its place again in, in more of the pop and uh, mainstream music worlds. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about it. That's so we'll encouraging, encouraging to hear that. And do you think that social media has something to do with that? Oh, yeah. But then there are going to be other players who are very much wanting to get a technical um, breakdown. Like, okay, I want to swing better. Like, what do I need to do? What exercises do I have to have? Or right. like, what do I technically do to make this work? I mentioned all this because your strumming book yeah. has actually been very influential for me over the last couple okay. of years in figuring out how to help students lock in better with time and um, just get a better sense of what it is to, yeah, to feel the groove and to, and to get into that pocket. And I've, so I've been having them play melodies like all subdivided where they're playing like sort of the, like every beat kind of then bringing out like through accents what the melody, what the actual melody notes are. It's kind of like that light bulb moment where like, whoa, that just felt so much better. And um, oh, I, I have so cool. I have you to thank for that because it's been something that has really been um, very beneficial for, for them and for me too. I mean, I'm learning right alongside That's awesome. them. So. That's awesome and thank you for Well, All right, bring it on. Sarah Caswell, who has been voted numerous times rising star by Downbeat Magazine. No. We're going to find out how much you know about the Rising Star Casino <laughs> in Rising Sun, Indiana. Indiana. <laughs> <laughs> The legendary jazz phenom and fellow Belmont University string department faculty member Billy Contreras took a few minutes from his busy family life to answer the question, when you've taken one of those epic solos, you know, the ones that are transcribed from YouTube clips by young players around the world, just what exactly is going through your mind? The answer was about an hour long, but here are a few highlights. Sunday morning in Nashville, it's about 27 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> and Billy is outside because he's got three kids in the house and it's a little noisy sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> you figure out what's going on when you're like 
Um, like one night I played a gig and uh, the concept was I'm only going to use three notes and I'm going to pick them before the gig. So I picked <laughs> these three notes <laughs> before the gig. And, um, no and those, way. Were, those were the only three notes I used on the whole hour set. And, uh, <laughs> oh my God. yeah. And, oh um, my God. How did that work out? Um, I mean, it probably depends on, you know, um, who you're asking. Um, <laughs> but, um, I thought it worked out pretty good. And, um, yeah, I will say the manager did give me a call the next day and I didn't have my glasses on and I didn't realize he had, uh, he'd come up to listen that night. And, uh, but, uh, But so I would pick a different concept every night to like do for the whole night. Oh, and, wow. Um, oh, wow. And sometimes, sometimes it might be for a few weeks. Like one time for three weeks, I left off my G string or my D string. I forget. <laughs> um, and then like one night I played the whole show without any hair on the bow. And um, yeah, some, <laughs> some stuff's just silly like that. But then some of it is like pretty, you know. Wait a second. Um, how do you play without? How do you play without hair on the bow? Man, the same as with hair, <laughs> and uh, and no one actually, no one noticed the whole, no whole night. Wait a second. Yeah. You're, you're playing with the wood. Yeah. Well, I think it was a fiberglass bow, so with the fiberglass. <laughs> but um, <laughs> did you rosin it? <laughs> Man, I I probably should have, but um. So, Billy Contreras, you are known as one of the great Western swing players. And so we're going to ask you how much you know about the Western Spring Manufacturing Company. Oh, <laughs> my make, gosh. They make <laughs> springs and bent metal products. <laughs> All right. So, Western Spring. Here we go. A shot peening. P-E-E-N. Shot peening. B, vibratory finishing, or C, oil coatings. Which of these services will you get with a smile from Western Spring Manufacturing? Oh, man, I'm going to go with A. <laughs> you are right. You oh, are correct, man. shot oh, peening to aerospace specs. <laughs> All right. Composer Roberto Sierra wrote an electric violin concerto for me last year that I premiered with the American Symphony at Lincoln Center in New York City last June. Here we dig into his process and the challenges of writing for the six-string electric violin in an orchestral context. to be in your program and I am delighted to be working with you and by working I mean working because this this has been a back and forth all yes. the time yeah I mean I, I never had so much contact with a performer before and it's been totally enjoyable it's something I look forward to in yeah fact, I'll, I'll miss you once this is done <laughs> I know <laughs> I know me too it's funny we're doing this on zoom because we've been meeting every week on Zoom. Almost uh, every week. I, yeah. Just about every, yeah, almost every week. You sent me a book about, which I have right here, um, about where you explain all the techniques, the chopping, the bowing, this and that, uh, one of your books. And I said, because that was so kind, you didn't charge me for, for you sent me as a gift. So I, <laughs> I, I said, I said, I said, in in response to that, I'm going to send you ficciones. Uh, <laughs> which, or I have, which I have right here. I have a, a collection, a collection of 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 Borges. That's right, <laughs> of Borges writing. And 
and uh, that story, I mean, it's the 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 the, the dynamics, the level of of complexities of things within things. How do I express? I express the idea of somebody looking through a little hole on a stairwell that is the size, I don't know, the size like this. And through that hole, there is a light and you see the totality of everything. <laughs> you see everything happening the, and the past, the present and the future happening at the same time. And you are able to see it and to remember it. I mean, that that's, that's, a, that's also, which is the other point, the other thing that, that intrigued me and also that I that I'm very fond of is it, it it poses sort of intellectual philosophical questions as to who we yeah. are what what does it mean what is reality for example yeah. yeah Diana Ladio is one half of the string duo Moxie Strings and is a vibrant and tireless educator bringing her Celtic styled energy to kids all over the country inspiring the next generation of string players with empathetic music making seeing more and more now um, is how open-minded the teachers are and granted if they have brought me or us in they already are acknowledging right. that they have there that there are maybe gaps in what they're able to offer or that they were taught one thing and they know their students need something else um, right. I get chills thinking about this because the humility involved in that is yes. is so admirable you know yes, and we we commend them the teachers for that just that build it, it it emulates exactly what you'd feel in the club when all of a sudden right. like the whole feeling is like we're getting there we're getting there we're getting there oh yes. my gosh and then yep. and then it, and then it finally drops you know and that's the feeling I live for and I know actually a lot of students are pretty into it too but yeah. students aside that's what's been really fun for me is just figuring out how to emulate some of what's going on in those electronic music awesome. tracks yeah yeah And the beauty of using a tune they're familiar with is, is that they get the groove. You don't have to explain what the groove is. Is that Have you noticed Absolutely. that's the case? Yes. As soon as you put on like, you know, you go, we're no longer doing the gavotte in G and now we're doing, you know, like a Beyonce tune or whatever, or the weekend tune. And then suddenly the kids are like, okay, now I, I, I can relax. I can move my body again. I can, you know, um, dig the music the way we you know they do as as kids uh and that connection to me that's critical that's the center of all the rhythmic playing the more i teach it the more i realize that it's just the way you move your body oh i couldn't i love that just access what is so obviously exactly. already just central to who they are you know the ability to move to the music that they love yeah. oh yeah i love i love that We always say like when you leave the classroom what are you going to put on in your airpods when as soon as you can go into the zone right you know? um and we try to look for a way to harness that and bridge the gap between the instrument that they're holding in orchestra and whatever that music is that they love so much because it is all one art form but i think it's very easy to create a pretty deep divide I think it's just always wonderful to have somebody like yourself who is out there doing that kind of work to report back to us and to bring us these messages of uh, empathetic music making and the value of that to all string players. 
So thank, thank you. Thank you so much, Tracy. Empathetic <laughs> music making might be the new headline on my, my personal website. Awesome. Because, oh, and I thank you for, for hearing it and, and making yeah. that the takeaway because that, that's absolutely it. Yeah, I think we're in a very exciting season and we're all working yeah. in the same direction, which is, is very, very cool and heartwarming. Awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. My old Turtle Island String Quartet bandmate, violist Danny Seidenberg, and I take a stroll down memory lane and revisit some of the standout moments of our touring career together. All right, shut up for a minute so oh, I can start. Sorry, the, I know. Shut, I, so I, I got to start the show. <laughs> oh, you have an intro. You I got an down. intro. I got a whole shtick I do. So all just right, save here. all your brilliant commentary okay. till we get there. I'll let you know. I'll introduce okay. you. You'll have plenty of chance to talk. All right. Hey, it's Tracy Silverman, your host. One thing about the violin that's different from the viola, it's a lot more fun. <laughs> it's all the great concertos and yeah. Rondo Capriccioso and Mendelssohn yeah. and Brahms and Tchaikovsky studying those things yeah. and Bach. Oh my God, how much more fun that is than, uh, you know, the uh, Von Hall concerto for, for viola. You know? I mean, it's, or Stamets, you know, we have these great composers. <laughs> But uh, <laughs> but I'm uh, curious. I'm curious as if all you are going to hate me. <laughs> well, Was it A, the Alka-Seltzer plop plop fizz fizz jingle? And many most of our listeners will not remember that. Oh, I remember. Give us give us a little rendition. Uh, plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, what a relief it is. <laughs> that was worth the whole interview right there. <laughs> I told you, Jerry Lewis, man. That's going to be, this is going to be a preview. Hey. Right? <laughs> this group interview with the Sirius String Quartet was a wonderful study in the magical chemistry that happens when you bring four brilliant string players together with four different backgrounds. how you guys do that like when you're coming up with new stuff where does it start is it one person's arrangement does it come in is it a turtle island kind of experience where you guys are working it out together and just like yelling at each other continuously till it fixes itself magically or how do you go about it we're pretty aggressive i think yeah there's a lot of yelling is the key we have to be in groups, so. though. We have to be in time. We have to yell yeah. <laughs> One thing I really liked about it was the sort of the anthropological aspect of it. They're not just entering another culture about the food and the hang, but also in terms of the way they treat the violin, like the way mm. they treat string instruments. It's a more percussive slot that they put it in. It's not like Schubert, where you know you have an obligato melody on top, and then you have some fill in some chords in the middle of the sandwich. You know, they, they, the, the violin has a different function, and you have to learn 
how to play, use your bow arm in different ways. Uh -huh. You know, either like really at the crunchy, like in tango, or you can be a little bit farther up the bow and almost like a strum blowing thing in certain kinds of charanga playing. You know, interesting. So that, that sort of, I entered that, I saw those, well, there's so many more things you can do with a bowed instrument than just like Juilliard. Serious quartet members, we're going to find out how much you know about Sirius Black from Harry Potter. Ooh. Took it there. All right. I hope you guys do better in the studio than you did with the Harry Potter quiz. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure about that. Take care, you guys. Thanks again. I really appreciate it. Good luck in the studio the rest of the day. Bye-bye. Tracy. Wish I could catch you on the far end of that session where the beer lives. I know, man. I know. It's been too long. I know, man. The last time we had a beer together was in Stuttgart, I think. So. Yeah. It was either been there or, there or Kansas City. Yeah. I yeah, can't maybe. Which yeah. One was Alaska. most recent. Right. Yep. Alaska. Fairbanks. Fairbanks, Alaska. Maybe it was. We've played it in a lot of places together, haven't we? Yeah, we've had a few. Yeah. It's time for another, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, you boys. Take care. Thanks again. Appreciate it. Tomoko Akaboshi has created a unique role for herself in the string world, using her combination of classical and jazz skills to connect classical and non-classical players alike with gigs in New York City, Tokyo, and all over the world. workshops and just being so um, in love with with you know the non-classical style string playing that yeah. you and many people have innovated um, and I think that's one of the the greatest things um, that I've seen in, in this country is is just um, the uniqueness and and how people are really pushing boundaries and yeah. Uh, it's just so inspiring and I, um, because I fell in love with it so much, it's kind of just my ongoing passion. That's so, that's so beautiful. You know, what are, what are some of the things that you see in players that you go, oh, I'm never hiring this person again because... Mm. <laughs> there's <laughs> there's definitely a lot <laughs> yeah that comes up um what are those red flags a lot of people ask questions i think without reading the emails right. and the answer is in the email yeah so let's say i'm hiring 70 people and a few people ask me oh what time is call uh, you know i notice right away when only two people out of 70 people asking me that question. It's yeah. clearly like, it, it kind of leaves a note in your head. Oh, okay. They're not reading the, the details. Hmm. Uh, can I yeah. count on them for exactly stuff? So. I was kind of embarrassed that I couldn't read chord charts. And yeah. I just thought, wow, I've had, you know, 20 years of training, um, and when there's a, a lead sheet or a chord chart, I freeze and can't do anything. That, then that moment, I felt like, you know what? I really want to try to learn how this all works and, and play. So I decided um, that I would go back to the States on my own. And so I came, I went to Boston first uh, with a suitcase and a violin. I just decided to move. Wow. Um, so I just took private lessons um, from Rob Thomas, Chris Howes, uh, Jason Anik, um, you know, and made a really great friendship with all the people there. 
felt like I wanted to do something unique that I could do. And I knew I had the resources in terms of um, knowing the teachers. And then coming from a classical background, I knew what teachers were really helpful for me as a classical musician. And I knew, yeah, that a lot of classical musicians out there wanted to, to learn, but they didn't have the resources. So right. I just thought, okay, these teachers would be really good at these classes because I've taken lessons with them. So now I'm gonna bring them to Japan. It really made me, it fulfilled me when I saw people in the audience when I brought Chris over and they were like in tears. And I just felt, you know, it's, it's a lot of work, it's a lot of risk, but this is why I'm doing it. That's so beautiful. Yeah. I take another stroll down the Turtle Island String Quartet memory lane, this time with cellist Mark Summer. Mark is one of the architects of progressive cello technique redefining how the instrument can be played and modeling for a whole generation of cellists just what is possible with those four strings and a bow. piano P piano still cello might be my favorite sounding instrument but the piano is what i use to be creative with in terms of composing and, yeah uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's yeah. nice to have it's challenging to write music on a string instrument yes you know it's it's i've pretty much written everything that i've written has started on piano julio started you know on piano and it sounds it sounds really different and, and it has a very different feel the other day I was playing in Sonata on the on the, on oh, the wow. piano because I wrote it on the piano, of course. So interesting. You played that tune. Yes, I have many times. The the main thing that would that happened in Turtle Island is you get parts given to you and you start playing them and it's like how can I make this really rock? How can I make it groove? How can I keep it together? Um, and I know you're like this. I will do anything. I will stand on my head to make the groove work, you know, because right. without it, it sucks. Right. And, um, and, <laughs> and not everybody has the same strengths. And if you're playing a support instrument anyway, you know, the cello lends itself, it's on the bottom and, and in, right. in all ways, it, 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 it helps make everybody sound good. Um, but but um, in terms of chordal, the chordal aspects of the instrument, um, that definitely came from guitar for me. Yeah, it, it built a lot of confidence for all of us, I think, to be able to go out on stage with that many people and to play well. Also, to be on television, um, one of the early things that Turtle Island did was to go on the Today Show and, oh. you know, to fly to New York and yeah. then get up like what it seemed like four hours later was it, right. and walk into the studio, the television studio, and it's like 55 degrees <laughs> to keep the equipment, you know, from burning yes. up. And then you go, Turtle Island, String Quartet, go. That's a particular skill yeah. to believe in yourself yes. and, to and to focus on the music. And, and why are we up there? You know, we want to do a great job. We want to play our hearts out. You know, we want to feed our souls. But we're hopefully there for others as well as for ourselves. Yes. And, and, and one of the things when you remember that, the nerves get calmed down quite a bit and the enjoyment comes to the fore. Oh, wow. So we're going to have this a few. Is, this is not looking good, buddy. This is, this is not looking good. <laughs> All right. Your first question. The song Me and Julio Down by the Schoolyard, which I know you know very well by Paul Simon. 
I want you to finish this lyric. We was all on the cover of a... Newsweek. See, I didn't even have to tell him. Recent Berkeley grad Mia Asano shares some of her ups and downs of getting into and graduating from the famous non-classical conservatory and how she has created a new career for herself as a social media string player icon with millions of followers spreading the word about the future of electric strings. my violin lesson um, with David Wallace and then I get off that lesson and I record the song in like a half hour and I like edit it together and I just like throw it up on TikTok and I go to TJ Maxx with my friend and to buy candles and as I'm buying the candles I check TikTok and it's at like 36,000 views. Your phone is just like, blowing oh up. Yeah and then by the end of the night it was at 2 million views and the next morning I woke up and I had 100,000 followers and I didn't know what to do, so I went to Trader Joe's and I cried. <laughs> um, it still takes so much time and effort and then editing them and posting them and keeping up with the trends and, um, you know, learning the stuff. And, and I've gotten a lot better as a musician by doing all that because what it did was it taught me it taught me how to transcribe really fast. Um, it taught me like so my ear improved like crazy. Um, my intonation had to get a lot better so that I could do the takes faster. Um, so uh, so I wasn't getting caught up in like little one note things. Like I've just I've I've improved so much. Just and my performance abilities have improved a lot. But... This like this horrible feeling of like, I am not good enough. I will never be good enough. I should quit music. Right. Um, what happened is like, I was really already insecure about my playing. And that came from my classical upbringing because like I had entire violin lessons where we'd spend the whole hour working on one measure because I couldn't play it in tune. Yeah. Been there. And <laughs> yeah. And but I, that, that, that to this day, that still like haunts me. And it's great. Cause on one hand it's like, okay, I know how to practice. And I know how to prioritize intonation and my intonation at the time was like stellar because I, that's how I was practicing. But on the other hand, it like kind of ingrained this feeling in me of no matter what you do, it'll never be good enough. And even when it's good enough, it's not good enough because you have to do it perfectly five more times. Um, and that like really kind of ended up holding me back. And I was like, what's different now? Like, why am I so miserable when like I used to be so happy? And um, I realized the difference was that during my freshman year at Berkeley, I I guess over the course of my senior year of high school, being in the jazz band that was very, um, this particular group of people was very judgmental and it was very, um, you know, and, and I really wanted to fit in even though I wasn't like a jazz guy. Yeah. Uh, and, and then showing up at Berkeley, um, what had changed was I stopped playing music because I loved it. Um, and I had started playing music because I wanted to impress other musicians. And I like realized that in the practice room, I was like, oh my God. Um, and then the rest of my time at Berkeley was me attempting to find a way to make music something for me again and something that I love and reconnect with the reason I started pursuing it. Um, which was that I want to perform and I want to help people and make people happy. And also I want to play music that I love with people I love. Cellist Eugene Friesen is one of the most articulate speakers about the musical challenges of reaching beyond the classical canon on strings. 
a longtime professor at Berkeley and collaborator with me on one of my favorite recording projects of all time, an album called Improvisations on Bach with pianist Phil Auberg, Eugene digs into his unusual background and journey as a non-classical groove master of the cello. Sometimes we need we need some something to scare us out of our cages, you know. Yep. Just to say, "Hey, man, there's no cage. Just the door is wide open. What are you doing in there?" You know. So. so this. just to regard our habit in the conservatory, or maybe as practicing musicians, to really break things apart. We split things into little bits. We cut them up. You know, yeah. a melody is different from a harmony. A harmony is different from a rhythm. It's different right. from a sound color, you know. Right. A dominant chord is different from a major seven chord. I mean, there are all these uh, differentiations that we make until at the end of the day, you know, with your brain so full of splitting things up into pieces, you forget about the wholeness that music actually is. Oh, so, so well put. Can yeah. you can you participate in that wholeness as a performer? And whether you're playing accompaniment or playing the melody, it really makes no difference whatsoever. It's one thing. Yeah. Yes. So beautifully put. It's like a yin yang. And, and you keep, you don't have the yin yeah. without the yang. What your curriculum is for that? How you go about um, teaching rhythmic technique? Yeah, and that's a, that's a tricky thing. I mean, I remember what Matt Glazer said about jazz that it can be learned, but it can't be taught. <laughs> oh my god that's so heavy wow i know just chew on that for a minute wow <laughs> that's so beautiful wow but improvisation i think is so important because that is the, the context in which I began to relate to my instrument more kind of authentically. Yes, yes. Talk and about I, that for a second. Well, it's, it, in, in a way, it's, it's just become everything. I noticed uh, when I first recorded myself improvising that there was a sound that I made that is so different from the sound that I had cultivated as a classical player. Huh. Yes. You know, an intensity of vibrato, a kind of springiness uh, in the articulation and stuff like that, that that I really valued as a way of approaching, you know, Mozart and and Brahms and stuff like that, that I just didn't do that when I improvised. I had a completely different sound, and it was a sound that, in some bizarre way, sounded like me. Yep. And I just began to admire, you know, that kind of naive way of making a sound. Hmm. I say naive because there was just nothing self-aware about it. Yes. It was just the sound that I make, you know, when I'm when I'm thinking of music or when, or when music is coming through me. Yeah. Daniel Bernard Rumain, aka DBR, has carved a niche for himself 
as a composer, string player, and outspoken political activist, advocating for equity and opportunities for people of color and non-traditional string players everywhere. Here he details what that means in terms of choices and actions he's taken in his career. imaginary landscape that we dreamed about is not very, very real. And with that reality comes now a new responsibility to push it even further along, to make it even yes. broader. Yes. And of course, the point of this podcast and everything that you and I are doing in so many ways has to do with that gospel, right? Yes. That, that mere idea of that, what I do and how I do it and the instruments that I do it with, that that matters. Yeah, so wow. thank you for that. Thank you for your work. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is why <laughs> Daniel Bernard Remain is on this podcast right there. What are the most eloquent mm. spokesmen for oh. the future of string? <laughs> so, well, to answer your question, how do I define it? I started referring to the violin as my violin. Nice. I just did that intuitively and that there was a difference. So there was the pizzicato, but then there was my pizzicato. Yeah. <laughs> right. There yeah. was um, yeah. soul ponticello, but then there was my way of sometimes playing right on the bridge, sometimes yeah. behind it. Yeah. Right. And then I, and then I started realizing, oh, I'm, I'm discovering things that are unique to me. And that made a unique sound. notion of I, we all have a responsibility to not only self-define, but to self-promote the things that haven't always been included, that hasn't always been a part of that tradition I talk about. I say it this way, yeah. tradition is nothing but an old innovation waiting patiently to be made new again. It was impulsive. I was always doing things from adding notes to adding slides, right. to, you know, just things that were, yep. I didn't realize then were intuitive, were a part of my culture, just right. a part of my hand, right? All of our hands or fingers are different. I couldn't do that. I could do this, what I'm doing right. now, to think that the this that I was doing, I couldn't do that, but I could do this. It wasn't validated. Right. In fact, it was invalidated, right? It was yes. wrong. Exactly was right. Wrong. Don't move while you're playing, even. Don't move while you're playing. <laughs> Definitely right? don't move. Stop wiggling around. That's right. Which, which you know, again, for me, even culturally, that meant you weren't enjoying it. So yeah. that, that right. as, a, as a kid, that was the connection. That not only are, yeah. are you wrong, not only as a violinist, but as a person, right. but that the things that were coming naturally to me didn't have a place in this room. Thanks for listening. If you dug what we're talking about and you want to dig in deeper, please check out the For the Greater Groove Facebook group where I post about each of my guests and where you can leave your comments and opinions. I'd love to hear your thoughts. And if you're digging the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and leave me a rating or a review. Thanks a lot and groove on. Groove on.